Good day, friends and colleagues, and welcome to another episode of Call Your Next Witness. Uh, Today, we are going to talk about jury selection, and we've got an appropriate guest for jury selection, a friend of mine named Mike Rabinowitz, uh, who is an attorney with uh, a large municipal organization in New York City, and a guy who has tried a good number of cases. Uh, But the reason why Mike uh, is a uniquely qualified guest for this episode about jury selection is to anyone who's ever selected a civil jury, the process of jury selection is so unregulated that it really does feel like open mic night to some degree, where you're kind of allowed to say anything you want within reason, obviously, and, uh, you know, subject to objection. Uh, but there's no judge overseeing it. So it really does feel like a uh, kind of a stand-up comedy routine at times, uh, if your personality allows for that. And Mike, in addition to being a trial attorney who has selected juries, also has uh, some real experience as a stand-up comic where he is he has headlined uh, for years uh, up through, you know, probably for about 10 years before COVID. And so I just really wanted to talk to Mike about the similarities between picking a jury and doing stand-up to an audience, because a jury, if if nothing else, a jury is an audience. And I think the conversation is uh, entertaining and illuminating, and it's a a topic that I've wanted to talk about for some time. Um, So without further ado, Mike Rabinowitz. Welcome to Call Your Next Witness. This is the Wade Clark Mulcahy podcast, uh, where we interview different attorneys, claim professionals, expert witnesses, uh, and we talk about civil litigation. We talk about how the courts are doing right now. We talk about a lot of things. And uh, today, our next witness is an attorney and a good friend of mine, uh, Mike Rubinowitz. Mike, how you doing, buddy? Uh, very good. You know, it's Friday. Uh weekend's upon us and uh it's looking like uh, the rain is gone so we're gonna have a nice weekend very good In, indeed well it was until you just jinxed it but that's neither <laughs> here nor there um so uh mike you know what you could probably say better than i can um exactly what your role is right now i know you've been with uh, a, a municipal organization in new york city for the past 15 16 years but what exactly do you do what's your role well, uh, you know, I started out, uh, you know, in insurance defense, uh, and I had a brief uh, plaintiff's uh, medmal um, uh, stint, and uh, then I ended up in the uh, law department at the New York City Transit Authority doing defense work, um, mostly torts. But um, you know, there were a couple of viola- uh, allegations of. Uh, you know, civil liberties. So I also did some federal work, 1983 stuff. And uh, basically, uh, once I did uh, trials and appeals, you know, um, I decided to expand my horizons and uh, I uh, was promoted to uh, the Office of Labor Relations. So now I deal with employment law, the unions, uh, disciplinary actions and grievances of the employees. So interesting. So now you are no longer dealing with torts on a day to day basis. 
Right. So, uh, you know, obviously in the court system, both state and federal, we dealt with, you know, trials, you know, having voir dires, you know, juries and everything right now, because we're dealing with uh, employee relations, everything needs to be expedited. I'm sure I don't need to tell you, Brian, about how long a resolution in the court system takes. So uh, (laughs) we uh, we expedite everything. We do arbitrations. And look, I don't want to say off the record when someone's recording, but I love arbitration so much more. Uh, I don't want to get into the reasons, well, you know, versus not. But uh, you don't have to do a voir dire. This whole episode will be about voir dire, you know, a little bit. But um, but arbitration, you know, you have your attorney, you have someone who's already ready to make a ruling, understands kind of the issues with hearsay and how to do the procedure. And ultimately, um, you know, it's an expedited process now. So I don't do voir dire um, and trials anymore. Um, but hearings, disciplinary hearings are little mini trials within themselves. And, you know, it's it's funny to, to, to put it that way, because the arbitrator is the finder of fact, right? Well, the finder of law and fact. So it's it's almost like every case instead of a jury trial is a bench trial to some degree where where your fact finder is tends to be an informed individual as opposed to a jury of your peers, which I'm saying with air quotes right now. Right. Yeah. Like with the jury, you have to catch them up because, you know, and we'll get into this with Vladir, you know, like you're trying to tell, you know, your your jury panel, look, there's going to be moments where the judge is just going to want to speak to us and you can't take it personally, you know, like little things like you're going to want to hear everything, but you can't, you know, at, at an arbitration, you know, it's expedited because he already knows what the issues are. He just has to, as you said, find for the facts and make a penalty. And sometimes, as you know, he'll find some facts, not give a proper penalty. We have to do an Article 78 or we have to go to the court system. So, so you know, it's not like I'm completely detached from the court system, but I haven't been there in a while. Fair enough. Uh, when, around when did that transition take place from torts to, to labor and employment? So, yeah, I was probably at the law department for 10 years. And then I believe in 2015, I became a hearing officer. Uh, which was basically to learn the lay of the land, learn the contracts, learn the unions and uh, the policies. And then uh, I was promoted within a year and a half to labor attorney. I was qualified because I had you know, been an attorney the whole time with trial experience. And that's pretty much, you know, um, you know, you have to be fast, you know, with these arbitrations because these arbitrators, they already know it. You know, you don't have to lay a foundation. You have a police report. You just hand it to him. You know, he mm-hmm. knows what it is. You, I remember one time at, at a trial, not to you know, get into the war stories, I couldn't get a police report in because I prepped my witness so well that um, when I tried to get the police report in, it was after he testified. I guess, you know, in retrospect, you, you get the document and then you talk about it. The, mm-hmm. the, the, the judge said he wouldn't put the document in because there was no need for it. The guy testified to it. It was duplicative. And I couldn't huh. believe that. Wow. Duplicative. Yeah. So it's it, you, you said it right at the beginning. You prepped the witness so well that you didn't need the police report, except you know, when the jury's deliberating, you might want them to be able to take a look at it. I, um, yeah, I thought you could just get it in, you know, and you wrote this, right? I'd like this to come in. There's no need for it. He testified to everything. It's duplicative. I, I, yeah, I was shocked. But, you know, it's the ruling and it's not something where you need to take it to the uh, appellate division. You know, it's, it's funny you say that about, you know, about how to get stuff in. One of the presentations that we do for new associates at our office, and we usually pick on somebody right out of the gate uh, you know, somebody right out of law school, 25, 26 years old, and we just hand them a pen and say, here, put this into evidence, you know, and people have no idea how to do it. You know, you you can take the class and you can get a B plus in evidence and you can do OK out and on the bar exam. 
But in terms of, you know, as a practical matter, how to move stuff into evidence, how to authenticate things, you know, that's a little bit more of the the practical nitty gritty type stuff that that in the abstract, it's not obvious if you don't know what you're doing. Right. And that's our skill. You know, I mean, it, mm-hmm. it's to get these things in. It's to lay the foundation, because let's face it, I mean, just talking about Vadir, one of the best ways to get your adversary off his toes is to take over the examination. So one of the best things is to Vadir a document. Forget about jury selection. You know, Vadir is a term, you know, to mm-hmm. question. So a lot of the time someone will be like, you know, I'd like to, uh, you know, I'd like to mark this picture for identification. You know, now he wants to talk about a picture with a lot of damage. And, you know, your client did that damage. So you stop it right there. You know, uh, Your Honor, I'd like to voir dire uh, the picture. So now he has to stop talking and you get to start and you get to already kind of in the voir dire, get your little digs in before you even see this horrible picture with the damage. You get mm-hmm. to say. Who took this picture? Oh, it was your husband. And he took them on your behalf. I mean, it's not like he was doing this for anybody. And he, you know, so it's like, even if you, you know, you get to voir dire the document, you take the attention away from the attorney because it's all about who's speaking and who's asking the questions. That's what the jury is is trying to figure out, you know, and that's a part of the skill is to get these documents in. There's nothing worse than you trying to get a document in, not getting it in. And then the jury being like, wow, I guess I don't get to see it. Is it because it's not relevant or because he was just a horrible lawyer who couldn't figure out how to get it in? Yeah. And when there's a document out there that the jury knows about, but they're not allowed to see it, they'll hold it against you because they feel like they're not being told something. And jurors don't like that. You know, jurors want to know they want to know what's going on. It's like if they have to uh, if they have to show up and, you know, sit through jury duty, sit through selection and come in every day. And then find out, wait a minute, we've been talking about this piece of paper for 20 minutes and I'm not even allowed to see it. You know, they don't appreciate that. Right. But to that end, I think that uh, modern movies and TV shows have really given non-attorneys that kind of eye into, look, we're dealing with stuff like hearsay. You might want to know about hearsay, but believe me, it's really boring. You know, like, they, <laughs> like trust us, it's either in or out. It's up to the judge. You don't need to deal with it. In fact, one of the things I love about one of the federal courts was they actually, you know, normally the judge will sidebar and, you know, someone's going to speak loud enough where someone from the jury could hear you. In federal court, they actually have a, uh, a machine. It flips on and it gives an eh kind of noise above the jury so they can't hear a word. Really? I it. Yeah. I mean, it's not annoying, but it's 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 you know, it's to, uh, you know, to, uh, to to soften, you know, so they can't hear any of the discussions. It almost sounds like something that you'd see on a game show where they put somebody in a chamber of silence so they can't hear what they're, you know, what the other contestants, uh, you know, like on Family Feud when when they would put somebody in the back so they they couldn't see the first person do the final round. Oh, right, right. Exactly. Well, that that's exactly how I look at Vladir. You know, you got this room of 60 people. And, you know, you're only calling 20 into it. And I mean, look, they're not as excited as in, you know, the price is right when you get chosen. Um, <laughs> but, you know, it is like a game show. No, I'm sorry. You know, you're uh, you, you've been convicted of this or you've been doing that. I don't want you on the jury or you're not fair or you're this or you're that. You know, it's it's a game show. Will you be chosen? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and uh, I'm, that was I'm glad you segued into actual jury selection, because that's one of the reasons uh, Mike, why I wanted to have you on just because you have so much practical trial experience. Um, you know, from from my perspective, it was it was so interesting going from the criminal world to the civil world, because when you do criminal trials, 
the voir dire process or and I should clarify or to anyone who is from the south who happens to be listening the voyeur dire process I don't know why you guys pronounce it wrong but say la vie um, the voir dire process in criminal is all overseen by the judge and everything happens in open court and on the record so the two attorneys or multiple attorneys as the case may be do have an opportunity to do their spiel to kind of go to speak to the jurors directly to ask their questions and to try to develop a rapport but it's much shorter and it's much more uh monitored so to speak because the judge is sitting there and it's all on the record when i transitioned into the civil world it was such a shock to the system at how unregulated the jury selection process is you know it's it really it does have an open mic night kind of a feel to it where you're just kind of allowed to say anything you want as long as your adversary doesn't object to it right and then uh, what happens i mean look the one dear you are you're trying to get them to write off the bat like you because yep. you're or you're the second if you like me you'll you'll believe me when i tell you about my client you know and that's why it it is kind of interesting in that uh you know wadir um does for civil cases because i i've never done criminal but yeah uh it's just you and the lawyer in the room and 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 the thing is the whole thing you really can't trust your adversary everything he's saying is for him to get points so mm -hmm. once you feel like he kind of crossed that line there's no judge there so what you have to do is find a civil way of excusing both you and the lawyer to go outside and again what we just brought up it could upset the jurors wait why do they go outside i want to hear what they have to say but what you're doing is you're saying hey excuse me uh, can we just go outside and then when you go outside you're like why did you just say that your guy should be believed that is not what Vadir is for. Vadir is to see if these jurors can be fair, not for you to start, you know, uh, bolstering your client, you know, kind of a thing. And if he's mm -hmm. like, "Well, I'm going to keep doing it this th that's when you get a judge." You know, a lot of the lawyers are, you know, it's kind of like third grade tattletale, you know, like, "Hey, you can't bolster your client. I'm telling." You know, and yeah. then the judge will come in and look, if you keep going into that judge every 2 seconds, you know, because it's mostly some, you know, retired judge or something like that as, as, as you know, in, in that, you know, role. Um, he might want to oversee it, you know, because, you know, but mostly you and your adversary, you really just want to get through it. You want to pick the best jury you can, but you understand you're not just going to pick all winners. You're going to just try to do your best. So it's not worth it to fight. You just want to do it. Whereas in criminal, it's expedited. So, you know, you need the judge that you can't risk wasting a day. You know, mm -hmm. a blonde deer possibly takes, you know, uh, a full day or even two, depending on on circumstances. You know, in, in civil court, there's such a at least before COVID, I can't imagine now there was such a backlash. You know, you would have a room filled with people and the first five cases would get assigned judges. Meanwhile, there's like 80 on the calendar, you know. Yep. Yeah. And it's it's right now, you know, as we're recording this, it's late September and you know, we keep reading about trials getting started, and I'm starting to get actual firm trial dates in November. It's just, but the the there are just the volume of trials that are waiting in comparison to the capacity to try cases right now. It's you know the the floodgates have not yet opened. They're they're trying to get the ball rolling with them, but my goodness, there's just there are so many cases. And it's, you know, think about it, it's a year and a half of backlog. So they're, 
there's a part of me that thinks that the courts are just trying to make everyone think these cases are going to be tried so that they can get get resolved. But, you know, Mike, you know how Murphy's Law works with trials. If you don't prep the trial, that's the one that's going. So. Right. I mean, but that's the thing, you know, that's what that's why, you know, uh, they're using it as a settlement mean. I mean, you know, right now you sue somebody for money. It's going to take five years. They're keeping that money for five years and they get to invest it and they could double their money in five years. You want the money now. So you might say, fine, I'll take half, you know, yep. like just settle the case. So it, it, it's a tool. Um, yeah, it's funny. I, we say that all the time in terms of, you know, when you know, as a negotiation tactic. Um, you know, and I'll say, I'll say this to plaintiffs, friends of mine, look, what would you rather have a case that's worth a million dollars or a check for $600,000? You know, you right, can, you, right, but you can cash a check. 50 grand, you know, <laughs> yeah, like yeah. you're at least in a ballpark that they could uh, respect. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So in terms of jury selection in general, um, you know, and you kind of hit the nail on the head in terms of, you know, Jury selection is an opportunity to endear yourself to the jury while at the same time, um, you know, trying to figure out who can be fair, who can't be fair. The 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 conundrum of that is nobody wakes up in the morning, shows up for jury duty and says, I can't be fair today. You know, it's it's a little bit more specific than that. It has to do with, you know, the, the type of case that it is. Uh, but more often than not, you know, for me anyway, I view jury selection as a, let's see if I can get the jurors who like me here and B, now this is the cynical caveat to that, uh, the jurors that don't like me, um, let me see if I can figure out a way to use a cause challenge instead of waiting, wasting a peremptory challenge on them. I mean, definitely. But like, you know, also you have your uh, your go to questions that you that you want. So like I work for uh, the, the transit authority. So the first question is, hey, who here hates transit? Who here? Who here? Who who does who does the bus operator make you late? Does the train make you late? You know, what are you going to take your hatred of my client? and take it out on this bus operator, even though this isn't your bus operator. And that's the other thing too. Right off the bat, there's little things that you and your adversary can agree upon. Like, let's tell the jury all the witnesses right now and see if somebody's like, hey, that's my cousin, you know, because that cousin has to leave, you know? Yep. So it's kind of like, there's certain things you want to get out of the way and then you want to ingratiate yourself to them. But, but, but my thing is, cause you know, I'm a big guy. I need everybody to like me. Um, but Boadir is, is it's your first punch. It's your first opportunity. So like whenever I would have, and believe me, I had three or four cases where people claimed they were at a stop sign, a stoplight, you know, and a bus rear-ended them and moved their car. Right. However, sure. in these miraculous accidents, even though they're, they're injured and they want a million dollars, there's absolutely no damage to the bus or to the car. Now, so and, like, and, and not to cut you off, yeah. but the the a car probably like on average a sedan probably weighs three or four thousand pounds. What does an MTA bus weigh? Thirty thousand? Uh, actually, you know? it's closer to forty. But exactly, you wow. could get an expert to say definitively, you know, you know, if a bus hits a car, there will be damage. Mm -hmm. But you know what? 
you don't want your client to pay for that kind of common sense. You want to get that out of the jury selection. So, you know, you want the first hit to be, you know, are you going to believe anything that you hear? You know, uh, I was once reading uh, closings. Uh, my wife does appeals and I was reading a closing and this one guy had, it, had, had just he worded it so well that I just had to take it. You know, he was like, you know, forget that you're in court. You know, you come to court, you see someone swear on the Bible and they're going to say something and you, you just assume it's the truth because why would someone lie? But imagine someone's at your dinner table and telling you this story. Would you believe them that a bus hit a car and moved it forward? And yet, miraculously, there was no damage. Like in court, maybe someone would believe that. But if you're at a dinner table, come on, you're not going to believe that. Yeah. So I would start out with the, um, you know, the hypothetical. You start asking around because plaintiffs are just trying to ingratiate themselves. They're like, oh, I see you have a kid. Kindergarten's a fun age. Oh, I see you like to sew. You like to do this. <laughs> oh, you like, you know, these kind of James Patterson books, like whatever. And I'm thinking to myself, you do what you got to do. I got my scenario question and I find, you know, the mother or the, you know, somebody, a parental person. And I'm going to say, you have a six-year-old, right? And her name is, uh, her name is Tiffany. I'm going to give you a scenario. Tiffany's upstairs in a room by herself, and there's only a table. And on the table is your great-grandmother's vase. We don't know why this situation is presented in this way, but it is. <laughs> you hear her bouncing the ball. Next, you hear the vase breaks. You go upstairs. Tiffany says, Mom, I know what you're thinking. Uh, I, I speak very well for a six-year-old, and I'm very well, well, well pronounced, but I did not do this. I was playing with the ball. It just fell off. Are you going to believe your daughter, Tiffany? And normally and always, no way, because if the vase is in the middle of the table, something must have done something. You know, you get them to to find that missing piece on why they're believing it and not believing it. But I think I told you in prep one time I had a woman who just, you know, took this. I mean, I, I was like. You know, it was like Montana rice. Like I gave this scenario and she's like, let me tell you why I won't believe Tiffany, because I told her not to play the ball in the house. And she did. And that's why. And I'm thinking to myself, wow, she incorporated her own yeah. life rules into this. And everyone in the jury heard that, you know, that's great. It's almost like this. This juror almost sounds like a plant. You know, but uh, <laughs> like, to make it better, I was saving something. So what what basically happened was I went around in the room because sometimes you want to know, has anybody been in an accident? Does anybody know? Uh, you know, uh, has anybody had a lawsuit? And one person did. And I said to her, oh, what was your lawsuit? And she said to me, uh, a helicopter landed on my roof. And, you know, Brian, you're not supposed to ask a question you don't know the answer to. But I did. I said, let me ask you something. When the helicopter was on the roof, was there any damage? You know, I mean, uh, I guess I did know the answer to that. And she was like, you got, there was a hole in my, you know, but you sa I saved that. I didn't care about jury selection after that, because in the closing, since I had the no damage argument, I said, yeah. and, and you're going to believe that a 40,000 pound bus hits a car, moves it forward, and there's absolutely no damage. That's as absurd as if there wouldn't be any damage if a helicopter falls on a, you know, and I used the voir dire into the case. And, and, I, and you look and you look right at that juror when you do it and she lights up because she feels special now. And um, uh, you have no idea. I walked. Well, because uh, I think at the time. Yeah, no, no, no. At the time you were allowed to. approach. That's the only time you're allowed to. Because sometimes they set up the podium and you're not really allowed to approach. But mm -hmm. I like to approach because I like to, you know, set up the, the pictures on there. And you're right. I went right up to her and I said, just like when a helicopter falls on a house and she gave me that look, she didn't even need to nod. But she knew. And it was a unanimous. Of course she knew.
That's dynamite. Yeah. And, you know, it's uh, and what we're going to talk um, in a, uh, a unique segue for this podcast, we're going to talk about stand up comedy in a minute. But what you described is really just a callback. You know, it's. Uh, oh, oh that, that ex- exactly. It's like if we were joking around and, 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 and that's the whole thing, you know, like and, and that's another reason why, you know, um, uh, you know, you, you, you need to listen to your witnesses, too. I know we're doing jury selection, but it's funny, you know, um, just on the on the point of listening to your witnesses, because I thought I only had the damage argument, you know. Oh, there was no witnesses around. Normally, if a bus hits a car, someone's going to be like that stupid. But, you know, no witnesses. But, you know, my witness, he was a dispatcher and he was like, yeah, it was the end of her shift. And I looked under the bumper and I didn't see any dirt. And I'm like, this guy's talking another language. What are you talking about dirt for? And I didn't understand it. But I, I you know, you, you want to understand your witness. And he's like, when a bus is driving all day long, the exhaust, there's a ton of dirt on the bumper. And if this bus hit the car, the dirt would fall to the ground. That's huh. why. I looked for dirt and I didn't find any. When I first prepped him, I'm like, he's looking for dirt. What an idiot. Look for damage. Why? You know, but that became the best argument. And if it was like if I could have laid a little foundation for that in jury selection, I would have had two callbacks and maybe a punchline. That? That, that guy is basically uh, Marissa Tomei and my cousin Vinny right there. That's exactly. I was like, look, I, I'm going to make the dirt argument. I just still don't get it. He's like, if it makes contact and it's dirty, the dirt will fall off. And I was like, oh, my God, it makes sense now. You know, and it, it, it's just he didn't it didn't click until during the trial. But, you know, how about that? That's yeah. fantastic. Yeah. It's, and that's, you know, the, the jury selection process is really, you know, and you got into it, Mike, it's the first opportunity to do that, to lay a foundation, not an evidentiary foundation, but a foundation with the jurors. That, you know, if you can throw a couple of specific anecdotes out there, endear yourselves to the jury, you know, and obviously get rid of people that you think are, are going to be prejudicial to your client, that just leaves you with a, a platform later to go back to, you know, with a callback, right. with a reference, with, you know, with some eye contact, the whole deal. And, you know, it's because what we do for a living when we're when we're telling when we're doing trials is we're telling stories. Right. And if the jury feels engaged in the story, it's going to be that much more compelling to them. And it's easier to follow. But like with all of the uh, the voir dire that you're doing to lay a foundation, you're also on the defense. So you have to have some of the questions like like right off the bat. I ask everybody, you know, eye to eye, you know, are, if I, if they do not prove their case. Right. Because I don't have to prove anything. I, I say to them in front of their lawyer, if I want to sit here and do nothing. I can. And I could probably still win because the burden is on him. I mean, I'm sure that's objectionable, but, you know, so I want to ask them all, are you going to be able to send them home with no money? Or are you going to say, look, we're in court. You're getting something. You got hurt. And then that's where you get rid of your people. Oh, well, I just feel so bad. So, yeah, maybe I, you know, and that's when you you, you don't even need to use your challenges, you know? Mm-hmm. Yep. No, that's so, that's. Nope, uh... that's Sympathy, you know, and when I work for transit, you know, uh, uh, do you hate the transit authority? Because what I say is, you know, the way to ingratiate them, I say, look, this is court, but it's just regular. You know, when you get up on the stand, swear to tell the truth. If you don't, there's no lightning bolt that's going to come from the sky and show you. uh, I guess he was lying. (laughs) He got struck by lightning. How did that even happen? I guess I guess I should. You know, like that doesn't happen. Court. Uh, I'm I'm stealing that. I'm stealing that lightning bolt thing. That's great. You, I, I told you I brought my notes here. I mean, I have my whole uh, spiel here. Yeah, you know, uh, you know, because all you're doing is saying you want a fair trial. 
but all you're really doing is laying a foundation for your defense. Mm-hmm. Yes, fair with with more air quotes, you know, and it's funny, too. I, I enjoy the process of jury selection, but it is a bit of a charade in that sense that it's, you know, there's a popularity contest aspect of it. Uh, I've I've been told I've never practiced uh, or even observed the trial in the UK, but I'm told that when they do trials there, the judge and the barristers basically bring the jury in, ask them if any of them knows any of the lawyers or the witnesses. And if the answer is no, then it's OK. Openings and call your first witness. That's it. You know, there's no as long as they're wearing their wigs, you know, they're, uh, you know, <laughs> exactly. They don't care Exactly. Exactly. Um, I want to talk about stand up in a second because I know that's near and dear to you. But I just want to ask one question about uh, we were talking a little bit earlier about arbitrations, the the arbitration process that you deal with. Are there formal rules of evidence or is it much more like stipulated among the attorneys? How does that process work? So I think the biggest issue would probably be hearsay, you know, uh, obviously in, in court hearsay, you know, that you have to find your exceptions this to that. Otherwise, it just doesn't come in at arbitration. You're dealing with an arbitrator who kind of understands, you know, the weight of evidence. So and that, that's really why I kind of like arbitration. You know, uh, one, it's a panel. So ultimately, you, you get familiarized with the arbitrator. You know, you're never really able to hang out with a judge, which, which is understandably, except if you go to, you know, the fundraisers or whatnot. Um, but, um, oh, wait, no, all right, I did it. I just uh, tangented. I forgot where I was going. What was I talking about? <laughs> we were talking about evidence rules and hearsay at arbitrations. Oh, right. So hearsay. So, like, the arbitrator will already know, you know, the issue of hearsay. So like I said, with the uh, police reports, police reports are hearsay. You lay a foundation. If there's an exception to the business role, they come in. But at arbitration, you don't need the police officer for the exception. You just hand it to the arbitrator. Your adversary objects and the arbitrator says, all right, look, I'm taking everything, but I will give it the weight that it deserves. And what that's saying to you is, I know what hearsay is. Hearsay is nothing. I'm not going to give it any evidence. Or it might say, you know, but it's in. So you, did, the lawyer did his job and the arbitrator has the evidence and will give it the weight that it, that, that it warrants. Understood. Yeah. So hearsay objections, the arbitrator in theory is a learned finder of fact and law. He'll take the weight and admissibility into account and address it accordingly. Yeah. And, I, you know, just as a side, uh, you know, thing too, I, I had a case where we charged somebody you know, the person failed the drug test, but, uh, you know, uh, it was a different type of test. And, you know, just because it's a typo doesn't mean you win and you get to go back to work. There needs to be prejudice, you know, so an attorney knows that. So the arbitrator, you know, can, you know, uh, uh, you know, you know, kind of do what he wants, you know. Understood. Understood. Um, all right. So we've talked a little bit about jury selection. We talked a little bit of what about voir dire and I spoke you know, early on that the first time I did civil defense work and tried a case civilly, the voir dire process really did feel kind of like open mic night with the jury being the audience. And you, Mike, have kind of a side career in the stand-up world, right? Uh, well, uh, I, uh, you know, um, after I did my first trial in 2007, uh, you know, having always been a funny guy, I, uh, in 2009, you know, I mean, once you do it in front of a jury, you know, you are a public speaker. That's all a stand-up comedian is with a twist of comedy. So in 09, I, uh, I did stand-up and, you know, for your first time for your open mics, 
they say to prepare only like three minutes, five minutes, get on, get off, get comfortable. So, um, you know, uh, I prepared the five to seven minutes. And on my day when I was supposed to go up, uh, apparently some people backed out and they were like, do as much as you can. I ended up doing 14 minutes of, of solid stuff. Wow. You know, one of the things about jury selection, Vaudeer, you know, you have your notes. So I always have my notes. Well, you know, with stand up, you know, uh, no one told me this. You know, it's all about practice. I didn't have any notes. So I started writing things on my hands because I was like, I'm not going up there, you know, and lose track. You saw it two seconds ago. I didn't know what the hell I was talking about. I need to be <laughs> brought back in. So I wrote notes on my hand. And of course, in the middle of the act, I, you know, I'm getting some laughs. I lose my place and I look down at my hand and then I looked up and I was like, they just saw that. Like, you have to address that. So I said, I'm sure you guys just saw me look at my hand. I got nervous. I wrote on my hand and I showed it to them. That got an extra laugh. Then I said, and, uh, you know, uh, you know, uh, you, you know, I'm 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 getting nervous because uh, I'm about to get on the other hand and I'm a righty. So I wrote my right hand with my left hand. I don't know what the hell it says. So we're about to, you know, and suddenly I'm impromptuing on an extra. I told you I did 14 minutes. So, you know, it, it's about the comfortness. You know, you're just up there. I later learned that, you know, how there's a, a microphone and a um, what is it, a bar stool? Mm hmm. Apparently, the bar stool is what you put your notes on. You're drinking your notes. Some comedians sit on it. You know, some people use it as a prop. Um, but I'm a guy who needs notes. So in the beginning, I would staple, I would scotch tape my notes onto beer bottles. I mean, I was not going up on stage without some type of plan. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, you know, that's having notes as, you know, for lack of a better word, a crutch really is necessary with a lot of stuff because, you know, I've. Like I've I've done summations that are 45 minutes long. That if the if it's a case, look the the reality is if it's a case that you know as well as you know by the time a case gets to trial, can you talk for 45 minutes about it? Of course you can, w without notes. But once you start getting into the flow and you get an eye contact with a couple of jurors, you get a couple of nods, you will get distracted. You will lose your place. It's happened to me a bunch of times. Not only that, um, you know, uh, back in the courtroom, again, uh, the judge is calling all the shots at arbitration. The arbitrator just wants both sides to think you're fair. So you really get to say as much as you want. I know in some closings in court, you know, it was like, all right, we got closings. How much time do you need? You mm -hmm. know, so both sides would say 25 minutes, a half hour. And um, judge will be like, you have half that. You have 10 minutes. You got 15 minutes. You got this. You got that, you know. I didn't even think of that. The same, you know, the same thing happens in the appellate division where you, you know, you request 15 minutes to argue and seven for rebuttal. And then without fail, the panel say, OK, you can have 10 and three for rebuttal. But the the process of being given a finite number of minutes also harkens of, of stand up where like, OK, just do your five minutes and get off. It's the same. You know, it's the same dynamic. Like how many how many things are there in life? where someone says, just just talk for five minutes and then get off. Exactly. And that's the whole whole art of it is the end. You know how you're going to start. But if you're being timed, you might not know how you're going to end, because if you have a 10 minute speech and you're only given five minutes, you're going to end on. And what the most important thing that that you cannot get away from and I need you to concentrate on is time counselor. Yeah. You're so it's it's kind of like, you know, you need to plan that. So like just like with comedy, you want to end on a laugh. 
you don't want, you know, because you have to get off stage. They, they light you. They flicker a light, you know, and, and as a comedian, you don't want to go into anyone else's time. So you really have to be cognizant on the time. You know, you're a comedian. You have your friends in the audience. You know, you want to do as much as you can. There's a whole nother show. That's why, you know, after a couple of years, you know, when you're starting out doing 14 minutes, 20, 25 was, was sure to follow. Once I started doing 30, 35, 40, I couldn't do a show with three, four other comics. You know, I mean, we're not, you know, um, I would just have one or two and then I would headline up until the point where I did, you know, 45 to 50 minutes. And when you're talking for 45, 50 minutes, you know, you're right. When you talk about something, you know, that's easy. But like, you have to pepper in hundreds of, you know, jokes in there to make it listenable to your audience, because that's the whole thing. People have no attention span these days. You, you, you lose somebody for a second, they're on their phone, they're talking to somebody else. And, and in, the, in, in, in stand-up and in the courtroom, you need everybody to hear every word. Otherwise, your joke's going to fall flat, your point's not going to be made, your trial's going to you know, not be good. That's a, I, you know, the, the analogies between talking to a jury and talking to an audience are just that they're, they're endless. Well, the jury uh, and I, audience, right? Yeah, exactly. And I didn't, I didn't realize that, uh, and maybe I should have, maybe it's common sense, but I didn't realize that your trial experiences, you know, and, you know, public speaking in that sense, at least in part contributed to you wanting to get on stage and do comedy. Oh, well, uh, you know, I was always a funny, you know, person uh, in high school. They asked me at the graduation to put on a comedy skit or something. And, it, you know, mm -hmm. it was just very well uh, in, in college. You know, that's what you know, I had a radio show. I would talk every week for two hours. You know, they were like, play some music. And, and I wouldn't. I would just talk. And, you know, you know, <laughs> and uh, ultimately I tried to write a comedy set when I was in college. You know, uh, Jerry Springer was big and I had a lot of Jerry Springer jokes, but it just it just wasn't I didn't find my voice. I wasn't funny and I wasn't going to embarrass myself up there. Cut to after law school, you know, uh, the confidence, you know, the, the voice. You know, I needed to know what I was talking in college. I was a punk kid who, you know, had no responsibilities. Now I'm an adult. I'm a parent. I'm a lawyer. I have some topics. I don't need to talk about Jerry Springer. I could just watch it and then talk about other stuff that actually matters. <laughs> um. That's too funny. So now do, do you well, forget COVID because the world has been upside down for the past 18 months, but have you kept up with the comedy stuff at all? Oh, I mean, you know, just to, that's what I was going to correct. So um, uh, right before COVID in 2019, I had I thought I think I told you I started in 2009. Well, mm -hmm. every year, you know, uh, from uh, 2015 on, I would headline for over 45 minutes. And uh, in 2019, you know, and again, lawyers, comedians, same thing. We're procrastinators, ultimately, you know. Sure. And um, 2019, I was like, oh, this is my 10 year anniversary. I'm going to do a special. I'm going to call it X, you know, Roman numeral 10. I'm going to, you know, put out DVDs, not like anyone buys them, you know, uh, for content or, you know, the fact that they're not buying, you know, VHS either. No one has DVD players and uh, God knows how to make a Blu-ray. But the point is, see, there I go again. I, uh, I, I tangented and then I forgot where I was going. <laughs> um. 10th anniversary show. Oh, 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 yeah. You were asking me if I still do comedy. So I was telling everybody, you know, that at the end of 2019, I'm going to do it. But uh, I forget what happened. Uh, you know, uh, I was pushing it to uh, April of 2020, you know, uh, you, you know, like I said, procrastinating. And then COVID hit. So mm -hmm. it really was just a nice way to kind of get a break because, you know, the stand-up was more a... Um, uh, uh, I don't want to say a bucket list. You know, it was a can I do it? You know, I, I could always go back to it. 
but I don't want the pressure of doing it every year. And since I've stopped, a lot of people are like, when are you going to do it again? I want to see you. you know, and it's like, you know, all it's doing is building up more buzz. So I love building up the buzz without having to do anything. It's like trying a case, you know, and, and the motion to dismiss already won, you know. Oh, we don't have to try the case. It's, it's over, you know. So, yes, I would like to do stand up again, but I'm officially retired. But I do feel like if enough people want to see me, I will come out of retirement. You're, some you're, you're retired like a prize fighter is retired where you can come out of retirement at any moment. I'd like a petition. I want to see how many people are <laughs> committed to the next show. Um, but, you know, on this topic, you know, I actually did in 2010. Oh, I'm sorry, 2012. I finished a, a, a trial and uh, it was one of those um, either opens the door and the bus hit it or one of those hit from the rear and there was no damage. And uh, this time I was very experienced and a little more funnier. So the trial was a little more biting. I remember the judge was actually having a problem with me because you know, I mean, no damage. I'd done this trial a million times over. I was very, very facetious, a borderline jerk, I guess. And uh, but I was really doing it because I had such a good time in voir dire and they were laughing at everything that it was just, you know, within the bounds. So, you know, I mean, I was making eye contact with, you know, and then the bus hit me. Yeah, there was no damage. I'm making eye contact with the jurors. I see what they're doing, this and that. Anyway, I win the trial. And like I said, I had a comedy show like that Saturday and I had flyers on me. So as I'm leaving the courthouse, I see they just released the jury. And I always like speaking to them. Look, there's things you should learn, you know, never speak to the jury, always speak to the jury. How are they going to help? The verdict says it all. You don't need to this, that. Anyway, you know, you're dealing with these people. So I said, you know, how's it going? This and that. You guys, you know, did a good job. You know, there was no damage. I'm glad you agreed with this, that, that, that. We're talking and they're like, oh, yeah, yeah. It was just it was very entertaining. You were very funny. I thought it was going to be boring and da 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 And I was like, oh, you find me entertaining, huh? Well, I'm going to be doing a comedy show this Saturday. And I start handing out flyers. You know, uh, we'll edit this if that was ethically wrong. But uh, the, the yeah, trial trial's, was, trial's done. You're good. I gave them the, uh, the flyers. And one guy was like, wait a minute, was that real? Because I was off of work for two weeks. Was, he, he, I guess he, I don't know whether he thought he was on some kind of reality show where we were, you know, but he didn't put it <laughs> together. And I'm like, no, 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 this is, this is, this is. Side gig, you know, nothing big. That's hilarious. He thought he was on candid trial or something the whole time. Right, like, 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 like that he's telling his boss, I'm at a jury. But meanwhile, someone's playing a massive prank on him on a global, like, we're going to use this courtroom to fool this guy and his family for two weeks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for two weeks and go through a whole trial uh, about a. Oh, yeah, we're going to waste 90 people's time <laughs> ultimately. But it's really just to get this one guy. <laughs> in, but, you know, in. In defense of that, that would be pretty funny. <laughs> well, that, 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 yeah, and, that, and that's the whole thing. You know, ultimately, when I say I found my voice, a lot of the stuff I talk about is trial. You know, I mean, that's the thing. You know, it's like your stories. You know, if you're a construction guy, yeah, you might have a construction story about something that fell on. You, know, you might have a construction story. You know, no sure. one's going to want to hear them every week. Oh, this week, Al got hurt in his elbow. You know, it's, oh, tell me this week's injury. No, no one's going to care. But in court. There's excitement. There's he said, she said, there's divorce. There's, you know, there's exciting things that are happening. There's disagreements, you know, mm -hmm. and yeah. it's the only profession that has that that's adversarial. Like I said, you know, construction workers, I don't know why I keep bringing them up, but uh, there's no competition. Oh, oh the, 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 the construction workers across the street, you know, they're also building a building and they come over here and they mess with our concrete. And no, there's nothing adversarial. With us, there is, you know, the first uh, book I read uh, about, um, you know, uh, trials, 
you know, they said, uh, you know, uh, um, you know, it's adversarial. Imagine, you know, being a plate spinner. It's not hard. But what if somebody was trying to shake you as you're, you know, balancing the plates? That's what the adversary's job is to throw you off. That's why before when I was saying, hey, I'd like to get this picture and I want to show it to the jury and I'm going to lay a foundation for it. Can I voir dire it? Now you're taking the attention on what a crappy picture this is before they even get to see it. You know? Yeah. You know, the um, I have an analogy. You know, I'm, I'm a baseball fan, as you probably know. And they all, you know, I, I think it might have been Ted Williams who said, like, look, hitting is about timing and pitching is about disrupting that timing. And you know, the, this, the right? trial process, the adversarial trial process is very similar you know, and there, and there's also there's a civility to it. You know, I'm like doing a voir dire like that. You know, it, that has an effect. I I'm not a fan of just objecting during an opening or a closing for no good reason other than to throw off someone's someone's rhythm. But, well, also, you know, especially you could get called. See how I just threw off your rhythm. <laughs> you could get <laughs> called on it, you know, by the judge, you know, like if you have a bad objection. Like, yeah, it's not it's like a rudeness. The judge is like, that's not an objection. Let the man finish. Now everybody's paying more attention to what he's saying, meaning it could backfire. Mm. Um, fair point. Very fair point. Um, all right, Mike, I, I want to wrap this up in a couple of minutes. But before that, I have two general questions for you. First question, and this is going to sound almost like an interview question, but bear with me. So you've been practicing for upwards of 15 years at this point. You've tried a handful of cases. Now you're doing labor and employment law and arbitrations. If there's one piece of advice that you could have had right out of the gate, you know, when you started your career, what would it be? Like, what would be your advice to new new attorneys, new claim professionals starting out? I mean, definitely, you know, it, it would be the best to um, uh, to have somebody um, uh, mentor, you know, because like we said, um, you know, there are things you learn in law school and then there's the practicalness. So right off the bat, just to, you know, to give an example to this, you know, I remember when I first started out, I was doing no fall. So uh, what did they do? They just sent me to court by myself to figure it out, because how do you mess it up? You know, you're ordering depositions, you're ordering IMEs, you're doing all this stuff, not a big deal. So, uh, you know, uh, I'm at a conference and the plaintiff is like, and I, I want you to copy your file. I'm entitled to see your file. You know, and I was like, all right, I'm putting it all in there. Then I get back and they're like, all right, you better, you know, you agreed to it. Now you have to photocopy it. You know, the, the you know, the advice was, you know, uh, you should have. Uh, had the orders say, you know, let the plaintiff come in and you will provide him with a, let him do the copies, you know? So it's like, you know, little things like that, I would have liked to have known rather than learning it, you know, because mm -hmm. I had a photocopy, that stupid, huge file, and it was such a pain in the ass and had, you know, <laughs> uh, you know, had I little things like that, the ropes, you know? Yep. Yeah. The, 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 the little practical day-to-day -day things that, you know, you, you need you need somebody to bounce, bounce that off. You know, we say to all attorneys when they start out, you know, there's no such thing as stupid questions when you're a new at a firm, new in a practice, but at a certain point, those questions become stupid. <laughs> so, you but know, you get a, to answer your question more specifically, like the thing that it's not what I'd rather. All right. You, what I would rather know, I guess it would be, as you could see, I'm more more of a talker, you know, I'm waiting for my turn to talk. I'm ready to talk. I'm a, you know, live talker. The advice would really be if you're a lawyer, you need to listen. 
Um, you know, the, the quiet man, you know, he, he listens, he waits for his time to speak. And when he does, it's impactful. So, you know, um, you know, my advice, you know, to someone like myself or anybody would be, you know, uh, especially if you're starting out, we don't need to hear from you. You don't know what you're doing. You need to listen to us and you need to, you know, be directed as such. You know, because uh, a lot of the law firms, they don't have like a mentorship program. They'll just send you out and then you've got to make all your mistakes. And for all we know, you can make a big mistake. Why would you agree to give them this? They're not mm-hmm. entitled to this. Now it's on an order. And now you have more work to do to try to get another order to say you don't have to give it to them. Yep. You have to, yeah. You're now on, you know, backtracking and trying to undo right. mistakes. You know, and we say all the time, you know, it's a quote that I love. Good judgment comes from experience, and experience comes from bad judgment. That's interesting, right? Um, all right, one other thing that I want to ask you about, Mike: pop culture, movies, TV, Netflix, Prime, HBO Max, whatever. If I, if you were going to tell a new attorney to watch one legal movie, TV show, whatever, for whatever reason is in your mind, what what's your go-to? Oh, few good men. I thought mm-hmm. I wasn't going to know this answer. A few good men made me want to be a lawyer. Um, huh. you know, and it's funny because uh, when I recently watched it, I, uh, you know, when you don't get the, you know, you, when you see things and you have more experience, you start saying, hey, wait, things don't happen like this, you know. But I, I swear, when I was little, like, you know, Tom Cruise, again, you know, but he was powerful and a few good men when he's screaming i want the truth hey, mike can you hear me yeah yeah it was the scientology comment no, it, yeah you know what it's funny maybe maybe the scientology people are uh are listening <laughs> are listening and and big brothering this situation right when you started talking about a few good men it, it got choppy again, like when we were on video before. Oh, should I just start again? You know, sure. like, okay. Go for so, it. Uh, so uh, A Few Good Men was one of the movies that got me into it, um, uh, you know, wanting to practice law. You know, when Tom Cruise is screaming at Jack Nicholson saying he wants the truth and Jack Nicholson saying you can't handle the truth. Like something in me was like, I want the truth. I want to go around getting the truth. Like, and, and, <laughs> and that was the forum for it. Now, in retrospect... You know, um, A Few Good Men is probably, and again, one of my favorite movies, but is probably now with my legal experience of 15 years, one of the dumbest movies I've ever seen. Because at the point where uh, Jack Nicholson kind of says, you can't handle the truth. And uh, uh, Tom Cruise says, I want to know, I want to know the the other lawyer, the judge, everybody tells Jack Nicholson, you don't have to answer because everybody should know that you answering this way will get you arrested. So let's just save some time. And tough guy Jack Nicholson, because it's a movie, no, I'll answer it. You want answers? You're goddamn right I did it. And that would never happen. You did criminal work. Has anybody ever been, you know, uh, peppered or, or, you know, just to confess on the stand? But ultimately, it got something in me going. And, you know, just about, you know, the way that they did their discovery, looked at the barracks. I mean, it's just one of those movies. You know, Rob Reiner just did an excellent job. And, uh, you know, I'm a big Sorkin fan. You know, Uh, I love Aaron Sorkin. And he wrote it. So, uh, you know, I would definitely, uh, you know, it would be a a few good men or Frost Nixon. 
And I say Ooh. Frost Nixon because Frost Nixon is very adversarial, and I didn't realize it then. But it, it's not about a trial. It's about a cross-examination. That's mm -hmm. all it is. There's no openings. There's no closings. But that movie nailed it because they wanted an apology, and you were not going to get it. So how in the world did Frost kind of get it? So that's another one of the movies where, because it's like, you can't make me say anything. But Tom Cruise got Jack Nicholson to say something, and Frost got Nixon to say something. And even though I said A Few Good Men is not real, Frost Nixon was based on a real thing. Yeah, that's a great point. I hadn't, no, people have said on, on the podcast A Few Good Men before, and you know, there's a, there's a lot of underlying stories with A Few Good Men. And, you know, what I really like about it are a couple of the little practical things. Like there's one part where um, uh, where one of Tom Cruise's clients is on the stand and they're talking about uh, – I don't even remember the specifics of it, but it was, it was about – it was one of his witnesses. It was one of his yeah. clients. Okay. Yeah, and it was nothing about the code red in the Marine handbook. But then, the, but then he picks up the handbook and asks him, "Okay, show me where the mess hall is." Then, it's oh, like, great point, right? It was right, great. It's right. like just Everything. because it's not in the book doesn't mean it doesn't exist. You know, that was great. And that's why Tom Cruise was a great trial. Oh, I'm sorry, we'll use his real name. That's why that character was such a good attorney. And that's why, um, what's his name? I only know him by his character name, Weinstein. I forget his real name. That's why Wein he said, yeah. "What's that?" Lieutenant Weinberg, you're talking right. about? Well, Weinberg, sorry. That's why he said, look, your dad was the best trial attorney, but here, I would want you. You just saw yourself thundering at what's his name, you know? And 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 and, and it really is like, you know, he he really just, you know, uh, for somebody else too. And and I guess what really, uh, I guess what, what sets it above, because if you could it is a great movie, is said, forget it. I'm not putting my life on the line for this guy after he accidentally killed somebody. But he did. He was he he really was. I mean, the judge said, don't answer. And he's like, no, no, no you could. You know, I mean, it's just you could you could get in a lot of trouble for that, as Kevin Bacon explained. Mm -hmm. No, that's a great point. Um, and I think that is a great place to wrap up. Um, this has been uh, a great discussion. I definitely got a couple of voir dire tips that I'm going to steal. That lightning bolt one is fantastic. And, yeah, um, that's lightning bolt one yeah but uh mike look thank you very much for your time for your insights um and just you know talking about jury selection and stand-up has been something that's been on my mind for a while and uh and this was this was illuminating man thank you very much for coming on no thank you and uh yeah i mean that's one of the ways to ingratiate yourself to the jury if someone is funny or if someone is making you laugh how could you dislike that person yeah there you go that's uh yeah and on that as long as the client doesn't mess everything up, but that's, that's, that's another topic for another day. There you um, go. All right. Thanks, Mike. Much appreciated. You take care, Brian, and have a great weekend. Right on. See if it rains. That's another callback to whether I jinxed it or not. <laughs> well done.